You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1930th edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 26th of May 2023. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Peter Rayson, and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Shock at death of popular and well-respected family doctor. Medic gets £49,000 over patient assault. Haulage firm fined £1.9 million over death of depot manager. Water bill hike for upgrades. Shock at death of popular and well-respected family doctor. Tributes have been paid to an exceptional and much-loved doctor. Matthew Maley died suddenly in his home in Bury St Edmunds on May the 11th. Dr Maley worked at School Lane Surgery, School Lane Thetford, and previously at Forest Surgery, Brandon, and Swan Surgery, Bury. Colleagues described him as a popular, highly skilled and well-respected GP. Hundreds of patients and friends took to social media to pay tribute, with one saying, He will never know how loved he was. Others praised him as exceptional, compassionate and the best doctor they'd ever had. Spokesman for the school loan surgery said, Dr Maley was a hugely popular member of the practice team. He was a highly skilled and well-respected GP and we greatly missed by all who had the pleasure to know him. Dr Maley, who was in his early 40s, originally from Ireland, studied medicine at the University of Cambridge. He was also a programme director at the Bury St Edmunds GP training scheme. Dr Peter Smy of the Suffolk Local Medical Committee, which represents GPs in the country, said, I and many of my colleagues are heartbroken and devastated. Matthew was a popular, well-known and highly valued member of the primary care community and his loss will be felt deeply. The region's ambulance service is paying out more than £49,000 in a wrongful dismissal case after a paramedic was assaulted by an intoxicated 14-year-old patient. Following an employment tribunal, the East of England Ambulance Service, NHS Trust, have been ordered to pay the sum of £49,314.66 to one of their former paramedics. Peter Edwards, who is 60, who worked as a senior paramedic for the Trust for 18 years, was dismissed for gross misconduct for physically assaulting a patient in February 2022. While working in a night shift in August 2021, Mr Edwards attended a call involving a 14-year-old male patient who is reported to have consumed excess alcohol. 
while securing the patient to a trolley across his chest in order to take him to West Suffolk Hospital, Mr. Edwards was struck on the upper lip and nose. The employment tribunal heard that the claimant's instantaneous reflex reaction was to protect himself from further blows from the patient. Mr. Edwards was suspended pending an investigation and dismissed on the grounds that he had abused his position of trust and his professional boundaries as an employee. After his dismissal, a subsequent appeal was upheld and Mr. Edwards took the matter to an employment tribunal who ruled it wrongful dismissal, compounded by the obvious procedural unfairness of not allowing the claimant more notice of the attendance of an attestable witness. Haulage firm fined 1.9 million over death of depot manager. A new market, haulage firm, has been fined 1.9 million pounds after its depot manager, who is described as a loving dad and caring husband, was hit by a reversing lorry. Neil Roberts worked for Turner's Soham Limited when he lost his life on August the 30th, 2019. The incident took place at the Haulage Group Limited, then known as Howell Group Limited Premises in Inkman Street in Vauxhall, Birmingham, when the lorry reversed out of a parking space in the transport yard. The incident was investigated by the Health and Safety Executive, which found Turner's and the Haulage Group Limited had failed to manage the link, the risks, linked into workplace transport. In a statement, members of Mr Roberts' family said he did anything and everything he could to provide for his family. Family meant everything to him. He wasn't a man of many words. He mainly showed his emotions through doing and showing how much he cared. He was always there to help. Not a day goes by where we don't think of him and wish he was still here with us and how unfair it all is. Nearly four years have passed and every happy moment since has been tinged with sadness and every happy moment going forward will be tinged with sadness as Dad isn't here. They said the death of the 60-year-old had left a hole in all their lives which nothing could be able to fill. Anglia Water is set to raise bills to pay for long-awaited improvements to sewage infrastructure. The firm's business plan for 2025 to 2030 envisages an increase of 25p a day in bills. It comes after data revealed that there had been 150 storm overflows last year, where sewage was released around the county. Campaigner Toby Hammond welcomed improvement plans but said, adding the cost of this to customer bills is like asking residents to pay twice for work and that should have been done decades ago. Now we come to some general news. Last ditch attempts to save school as final flight looms. The owners of a Suffolk flying school have sent new proposal to his landlords as one last throw of the dice to avoid eviction. Chris Shepherd Rose of Ruffham Airfield based Skywood Flight Training received a letter from the site owners, Ruffham Estate, in February informing him his lease would not be renewed after May the 31st. 
Chris said he proposed the landlords he'd be willing to reduce the size of his operation and pay more rent if that meant he could carry on. He said our proposal would see the land used by the school go from 13,000 acres of taxiway and runway down to 6.98. We'd reduce the runway length from 990 metres to 600 metres, narrow the taxiway and move our parking, porter cabin and fuel bowsers to a smaller area near the runway. Chris said he hoped even if he gave the site a few more months, this would really help some of his students. He said even if it was until the end of September, this would see between 60 and 70 of our students complete their training. Another proposal, which has been modified, is putting in an offer for the reduced land. Ruffman State had previously stated it intended to return the site to farmland, with increasing costs partly behind the decision not to renew the leases. Chris said, with farmland averaging at around £10,000 an acre, he'd be prepared to put an offer in. He added, if it's going to be farmland, I'm willing to reduce my operation and buy that section at the going rate. Simon E. Dell, Ruffman Estates manager, said they'd consider the plans, but he said the costs associated with ensuring, running and safety maintaining an airfield of any size is no longer a viable. Class of 1957 to reunite for what could be the last time. Members of a class from the 1950s are meeting again for what may be a last hooray as they mark the 180th anniversary of their primary school. Colin Green, who is 77, and his classmates left Guildhall Fearment Primary School in Bury St Edmunds in 1957, but they were reunited in 1996, after the Bury Free Press printed an old photograph of the class. Former classmate Michael Woodhouse, known as Mick, had come across the picture in his attic, and was going to throw it away when his wife persuaded him to send it to the paper to see if anyone recognised themselves. The rest, as they say, is history. Mr Green saw the photo in the Berry Free Press and helped Mr Woodhouse to organise the class reunion in 1996, taking place at the Morton Hall Community Centre. This was then followed by a small reunion in 2007 at the Flying Fortress pub. The pair have now teamed up again to organise what Mr Green says could be a last hurrah, with a visit of their old school in July the 1st, as part of its 180th anniversary open event. Morton Hall resident Mr Green, who owns Colin Green and Associates Road, marking equipment firm, said, I happen to mention it to Mike Woodhouse this year, will be the 180th, and we will all be 77 this year. This may be our last chance of a reunion. I think we're expecting 12 to 15 of that original class to be there. The co-owner of a Berry St Edmunds wine shop has achieved national recognition after being named in the 2023 Harper's 30 Under 30 list. Jake Bennett Day, 27, has been recognised as an up-and-coming talent in the UK bar and restaurant industries 
has also been awarded the 2023 Commitment Champion Accolade. I'm very flattered to have been selected by a judging panel of influential industry figures and inspired by the company in which I find myself on the list, said Mr Bennett Day. Well done to all involved and thank for Harper's for highlighting the emerging talent in our industry. Mr Bennett Day is the co-owner of Vino Gusto, a wine shop that opened its doors in Hatter Street in March last year. Offering more than 500 wines, the two-storey Berry St Edmunds shop started as the One Bull Pub, a lockdown project from Roxanne David Marjoram. Mr Marjoram said they were super proud to see Mr Bennett's day passion and drive recognised. He's the driving force behind the shop and this award is highly well-deserved recognition, he said. The iconic Suffolk Punch horses are returning to their birthplace this bank holiday Monday for a grand golf tournament dedicated to their survival. This is the fourth order of merit golf tournament set to take place at Ufford Park Hotel, with all proceeds split between the Suffolk Horse Society and the Suffolk Punch Trust. Suffolk Punches, sometimes known as the Suffolk Horses or Sorrels, are Britain's oldest breed of working horse and are now classified as rarer than the giant panda. According to the Suffolk Horse Society, all punches alive today can trace their male lines back to one stallion, a horse fold in 1768 by the name of Crisp's Horse of Ufford. The golf tournament has been created by Colin Aldous, the former owner of Ufford Park. He said he felt it was important to do what he could to raise funds and awareness for the Suffolk Punches before this piece of our heritage is lost for good. The tournament will take place on Monday the May 29th. This is a handicap and scratch competition played over 36 holes with hopefuls competing to win the Suffolk Punch Trophy. Tracy Pettit from the Suffolk Punch Trust will be in attendance with two Suffolk Punches. War Journal is restored to soldiers' family. A Suffolk woman who discovered a wartime journal handed amongst a box of donations has tracked down the owner's family living 10,000 miles away. Charity shop worker volunteer Sally Noble said the discovery made the hairs on the back of her neck stand up and made the decision to track down the writer's relatives. The history-loving volunteer works at the East Anglia's children's hospice shop in Hadley High Street. She never expected her search would lead to finding living relations on the South Pacific island of New Caledonia, 10,000 and 127 miles away from Hadley. The very old and fragile book was written in an A5 journal by a French scout making a pilgrimage through his homeland in 1942. I went home and typed the writer's name into my computer using a family history website, she said. Sure enough, a relative popped up and I've subsequently swapped messages with him. He came back within 24 hours I got the feeling he was a bit taken aback, but certainly grateful to be contacted, and the journal has now been delivered safely via a courier. 
an appropriately named Bury St Edmund Street, is playing a major role in the town's annual In Bloom entry, while also marking the coronation. A giant coronation crown, the centrepiece of the Berry in Bloom entry into this year's Anglia in Bloom competition, was unveiled by garden writer and horticulturalist Barbara Seagull in Crown Street on Wednesday. The 2.7-metre-tall gold crown has been located on the corner of Crown Street and Honey Hill, following months of planning and preparation. The semicircular rolled steel gold-coloured crown weighs more than 500 kilograms and holds 14 baskets to represent the jewels in the crown. Meanwhile, the 20-square-metre flower bed the crown stands on is planted with red and white petunias to represent a trimmed red cushion. The crown was the idea of retiring Berry and Bloom coordinator David Irvin, who, after stepping down in March, worked with new coordinator Chris Wiley to see the project to completion. A coalition between the Green and Liberal Democrat parties at East, Ang- East Suffolk Council has been agreed and they will be joined by the authorities only independent. The Green and Lib Dem and Independent group formed the official opposition at the council before this month's elections and has been revived and this time they will be in power. Green group leader Caroline Topping said the deal had been agreed with the Liberal Democrats and Independent Councillor John Fisher from Saxmundham at talks on Tuesday. The Greens have 16 councillors, the Lib Dems 11, and with Mr Fisher alongside them, they have a majority of one on the 55-seat council. The Conservatives, with 15 councillors, are likely to be the official opposition, while Labour has 12 members in the new council. A popular hotel owned by the same family for 40 years has been sold to a Suffolk firm. Craig Jarvis, proprietor of Ravenwood Hall Hotel in Ruffham, has completed the venue sale to Brian and Kelly Keane, owners of the Cameron Group, for an undisclosed sum. He opened and has developed Ravenwood Hall Hotel over the past four decades. In an announcement last Friday, Mr Jarvis said, I have enjoyed the roller coaster ride over the last 40 years and a heartfelt thank you to our loyal customers and staff. It is time for new a chapter in our lives for myself and my family to do some of the many things we keep promising to do when we have the time. I am proud to be able to hand over the reins to Brian and Kelly and wish them every success for the future. The Cameron Ventures Group, based in Milden Hall, owns the Best Western Prairie Hotel in Bury St Edmunds, Ipswich Hotel, Cedars Hotel in Stowmarket and the Riverside House Hotel in Milden Hall. Former school head sent sexual messages to a child. A former headmaster has been handed a community order after sending sexually explicit messages to a person he thought was a 14-year-old boy. 
Matthew Coombs, 50, of Weatherton Road, Elmswell, was sentenced to Ipswich Crown Court on Monday. The former head teacher at Hartist Primary School pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to engage in sexual communications with a child at an earlier hearing. The court heard that between February the 10th and 20th, 2020, Coombs sent explicit and graphic sexual messages to a police officer posing a 14-year-old boy called Ryan on the Grimda social media dating platform. These included references to sexual acts and indecent images. David Ryan, prosecuting, told the court there'd also been a conversation about meeting at Cineworld in Ipswich on February the 20th. The meeting did not happen and Coombs was arrested by police who seized two mobile phones which contained sexual images and search history which asked if police monitor Grinder. At first Coombs denied knowing the decoy was a 14-year-old but messages exchanged clearly showed he had disclosed his age. Coombs said he had not read the message closely. During inquiries... Coombs denied sexual attraction to children at his former school. Natasha Nair, in mitigation, said that Coombs knew what he had done was absolutely wrong and took full responsibility. She said that alcohol use and stress at the time had been major factors. The owner of an Elverdon holiday village has put its UK and Ireland Centre Park site up for sale. Centre Parks UK and Ireland is for sale for a reported £4 billion to £5 billion, nearly double the price paid for the company when it changed hands eight years ago, according to the Financial Times. The chain of six holiday villages is owned by Brookfield Property Partners, a Canadian private equity group, which bought the company for £2.4 billion in 2015. Centre Parks attracts millions of holidaymakers annually at its five UK sites and one Irish holiday village. Last year, the company reported occupancy rates of 97.3%, a figure in line with pre-COVID levels. Meanwhile, the firm booked revenue of £426.6 million between April and December 2022, up 20% on 2021 and an 18% increase on the pre-pandemic year 2019. Elverdon Centre Parks opened in 1989 and features hundreds of acres of forest, a subtropical water park, a water sports lake and beach and adventure playgrounds. It also offers the longest zeppoir of all the Centre Park villages in the UK while it can accommodate up to 4,216 guests. Other Centre Park's holiday villages are in Sherwood Forest, Longleat, Winfell and Woburn in the UK, and Longford in Ireland. Centre Park's UK and Ireland is separate from the Centre Park's Europe, which operates holiday villages across the continent. Centre Park's and Brookfield have not commented on the reports. New shop to open. A new boutique shop is set to open its doors in a Suffolk town centre this week. Deborah, UK, 
the Butterfly Skin Charity will open its new store in Market Hill, Sudbury for the first time at 11am on Thursday the 25th. Bosses are promising a welcoming retail environment in which customers browse a wide range of quality, affordable, pre-loved items. Deborah is the national charity and patient support organisation for people living with epidermolysbullosa, epidermolysbullosa, EB, a potentially fatal genetic skin condition that causes constant pain due to unstoppable internal and external blistering. Deborah CEO Tony Byrne said, We're delighted to open a brand new store in the centre of Sudbury and we look forward to welcoming the local community to shop, donate and volunteer with Deborah and help us stop the pain of EB. People will also be able to donate clothing, accessories, homeware and more to the charity shop. Bosses are also looking out for volunteers to join the team. It's a debate that has been building for years. Should grass be kept mown and tidy or allowed to grow wild to provide a wildlife bounty? This year it appears to have been stoked further after David Attenborough's Wild Owl series shone the spotlight on Britain's fragile wildlife habitats. Suffolk County Council has found itself on the forefront of the debate with some criticising the long verges on some roads and others complaining about cutting verges during No Mow May. Environmental groups, including Wildlife Trusts and the Plant Life Campaign, have urged people not to cut grass until after the end of May, to allow it and wild flowers to seed and provide food and cover for wildlife. Others have said this looks untidy and gives an uncared-for look. Paul West is Suffolk Council's Cabinet Member for Operational Roads and Ipswich, and he has heard both sides of the debate. He said, People have strong views on this, and it's very difficult to find a compromise because they're the total opposite to each other. We aren't touching verges on unclassified or sea roads in the countryside until after May to allow wildlife to flourish, unless there is a safety reason. But... We are cutting thin strips of verges in towns to try to prevent the gullies from being blocked. But we hear criticism from both sides, no matter what we do. Banksy Artwork returning to Suffolk following restoration work. A mural that graffiti artist Banksy sprayed on the side of a Lowestoft building during his Great British Staycation in the summer of 2021, is returning to Suffolk. The Bristol-based artist created works across Norfolk and Suffolk two years ago, including Sand Castle Girl outside the former Lowestoft Electrical Store in London Road North. However, building owners Gary and Nadine Schwartz removed the mural from the wall in November 2021 and it was sold to a private buyer in the UK. However, from June the 3rd to October the 1st this week, Banksy fans will be able to see the Sandcastle Girl artwork again at Moises Hall Museum in Berries and Edmonds. 
It is part of the Urban Frame Mutiny and Colour exhibition with more than 300 works by renowned contemporary artists such as Tracy Ermin and Damien Hurst. The exhibition will also run across the National Horse Racing Museum in Newmarket and Haverhill Arts Centre. Fine Arts Restoration Company, who have preserved numerous Banksy works, have restored the Sandcastle Girl artwork to its full glory. Uh, now we're going to move on to our letters. Um, my first letter is from Sarah Thompson from Woodbridge. And she heads her letter, End This Deadly Sport. The time has come to rewild Graf's moors. They are only managed for the elite to exercise their desire to shoot birds. As a consequence, hen harriers, one of many endangered species, are being persecuted and destroyed to perpetuate this blood sport. The world is facing unprecedented biodiversity loss, and the UK is one of the most depleted as a result of human-inflicted climate change. Everyone, including the King, must do everything they can to reverse this catastrophic decline, and it is essential to rewild as much as possible. King Charles is a unique position to set a much-needed example. Grouse moors are not farmed for food production. There is a very limited market for game, and there can be no justification for such huge expanses of managed land to continue to exit. Coronation gave a boost to economy. When it comes to pageantry, there is no other country in the world who can hold a candle to us, the British. And I think it would be safe to say the revenue created and raised by the coronation paid for itself many times over. Tourism, television rights, trinkets, trophies and souvenirs in all manner of size and price made for a perhaps not unexpected boost to the economy and countless retailers alike. In case of the above, percentages have, as reported in last week's Very Free Press, little or nothing to do with real life, or at least prestigious occasions, like the coronation, wrote Margaret Miller of Bury St Edmunds. My next letter is from Brian Scott from Stowmarket. Inconvenient conveniences. We recently travelled to Beckles by public transport and enjoyed an hour or two there. We found several free public toilets, all in good order. With a little spare time, we decided to take the risk and go north over the border into foreign territory. It's only 15 minutes on the bus to Loden. We were expecting to find toilets near the church, but they were closed and turned into a small house. So we walked half a mile into Chedgrave. We found the toilets near the river and approaching we noticed that it cost 20p to enter. We soon found 20p but couldn't find anywhere to pay. It turned out that the only method of payment was by using a contactless bank card which neither of us have. This might be convenient for Suffolk North Council but was but what was far convenient for us? A less than convenient place just had to be found. Clearly, the answer is to remain in our beautiful county. 
How fairy tales all began. Once upon a time, doctors and nurses tended the sick 24-7. Police patrolled, keeping an eye on locals and court criminals day after day. Teachers crammed the three R's into pupils weekly non-stop. Postmen delivered once or even twice daily. Buses and trains brought passengers into town on a regular basis so they could shop in the high street, being able to purchase almost anything they needed. Banks welcomed customers face to face with a choice of such establishments available. Once upon a time, that's how all fairy tales began, wasn't it? Happy days, writes Chrisford Davy, Stowmarket. The next letter is from Mike Hazelwood from Woodbridge. What price, clean water? It was reported in the EADT on May the 19th that Anglian Water expect to spend £1 billion, subject to regularity approval, in order to upgrade our outdated water infrastructure. As a result, it was indicated that bills may have to rise by 25p a day, £91 a year, with £12 of this being allocated to the River Quality Programme. I was surprised to read that Lib Dem councillor and co-founder of Save the Deben Group, Ruth Leach, considers it ridiculous for us to pay more to enable Anglia Water to provide a service that is safe for the environment. Sadly, attitudes like that and a growing population have led to the gradual failure of a system that exists because of significant investments by previous generations. Perhaps Ruth Leach should reflect on how much she really cares about the quality of water in the River Deben. Change your political labels, writes Emma Bishton from Nayland. It was interesting to hear the news from the first Sudbury Town Council meeting since the local elections. Ellen Murphy, Sudbury Town Councillor for St Leonard's Ward, who was Mayor last year and stood as an independent again on May 4th, has just announced days after the election that she's joining the Tories. Independent is a word associated for voters with people who are not of any political party, yet a number of Tories in Babra have been flip-flopping between different labels in recent years, presumably in an attempt to persuade voters they are still electable despite increasing Tory failure at national and local level. Truly, independence must be furious, and it's no wonder we meet such disillusionment on the doorstep with politics across the board. Ian Smith from Bury St Edmunds writes, Starmer's view over Brexit. Judging by the recent letters by the regulars, I wonder if they have geared up their letter-writing campaign to get readers on board to promote the rejoining of the EU, which, in my opinion, we have not fully left yet. Brexit Bad for Tourism by B. Walker. We must rejoin the EU by Sarah Thompson. Let's get on with it and rejoin the EU by John Dell, etc., etc. I wonder what these campaigners might have to say about the recent comment by the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, who said on LBC Radio on May the 15th, 
I don't know how many times I've said there's no case for going back in. We're going to make Brexit work, and that is absolutely firm position. As Sakir is nicknamed Mr Flip-Flop because of all his reversals on previous held positions and announcements, I'm also left wondering if the warning by the Tory chairman, Lee Anderson, will come true. Referring to Sakir's answer to LBC presenter Nick Ferrari, Anderson said, Be in no doubt what this will lead to, a second referendum and then grovelling to rejoin the EU. Will Sakir turn out to be a man of his word or will he once again flip-flop? Watch this space, if you can bear it. Protesters will gather at base. I hope your readers are aware that the US has announced it will be returning nuclear weapons to RAF Lakenheath sometime soon. This has not been confirmed or denied by our own government. It will be the first time we have had foreign nuclear weapons on our soil since they left Lakenheath in 2008. There will be a demonstration against this at Lakenheath on Saturday at 1pm. I ask readers of this letter, even if they support the use of nuclear weapons, to consider whether they want once again to live so close to a dangerous target for attacks. Nick Wright from Berry Snedmans has written. D. Crystal from Newmarket writes, Seeing both sides on coalitions. Why is the government trying to frighten the public regarding a Labour-Lib Dem coalition government? The Conservatives had a coalition under David Cameron and also they reigned with the help of the DUP. Or is it a case of, I can do it, but it's wrong for anyone else? BBC must stop ruining radio, writes Graham Day from Stowmarket. When will the BBC's dangerous and destructive meddling with its radio services finally end? The management of the BBC somehow conveniently forget that its original function was to broadcast radio services. I can remember as a teenager secretly tuning in to the late John Peel's perfumed garden programme broadcast from the pirate radio ship Radio London in the 1960s. I continued listening to John Peel's late-night programme on the BBC as he concentrated on more avant-garde and unusual musical offerings. The natural successor eventually was Radio 6 Music. Many years ago I met a younger man who had been instrumental in launching a petition to save the station. Ultimately the BBC thought again and did not close it down. Recently, I also met an old friend who told me the meddling fingers of BBC management were now infiltrating his favourite station by forcibly combining presenters to present shows. This tactic led to the departure of Simon Mayo from BBC Radio 2 when he was forced to share his very successful drive-time show with Joe Whiteley. It did not work. The tactic also led to the early department of the excellent late Paul O'Grady for his Sunday show. The BBC management needs to realise that, 
as with local radio, they are destroying the broadcasting gold which made them the greatest and most trusted broadcasters in the world. When will they ever learn? Probably never, and by then it will be too late. BBC Radio 6 Music fulfills an important role in a diverse musical world. If it is not broken, so do not tamper with it. Um, now, we've just got one feature for you this week, and it's Looking Back with Martin Taylor. And he heads this. Worthless tokens now much prized. It was customary in the Middle Ages for younger members of the Abbey Church congregation to elect one of their number to act out the role of boy bishop. This would take place on December the 6th, St Nicholas Day, and would last until December the 28th, Holy Innocence Day. The chosen boy was dressed in full bishop's robes with mitre and crozier, and attended by his companions dressed as monks or priests. On the Feast of Holy Innocence, the chosen boy would go by solemn procession, accompanied by taperers to the high altar, and perform the service of Holy Innocence. It is recorded that no one, under the penalty of excommunication, dared to interrupt or press upon him. A further procession also went through the town blessing the people and handing out lead tokens to the poor, though of no real monetary value, they could be exchanged for food. The chosen boy and his colleagues would typically take possession of the Abbey Church and would have performed all the ceremonies and offices except Mass. There are instances of this tradition being observed in Norwich, Salisbury, London, York and Westminster, most probably at the cathedrals there. As we did not have a cathedral, our abbey church was more than equal to a cathedral. The tokens were meant to mimic the coinage available in the medieval period, a penny, half goat, equal to two pennies, or a goat, four pennies. The observed depicts a bishop's mitre, a most often inscribed Sanctivus Nicolavus, or St Nicholas, the origin of Father Christmas. On the reverse, Avi Rex Gentis, Hail the King of the Nation. Henry VIII abolished the custom of boy bishops in 1542, some eight years after his break with Rome, and three years after the dissolution of the monasteries. The tradition was briefly restored in 1554, finally to be abolished by his daughter Elizabeth, sometime after her ascending the throne in 1558. Ever since metal detecting became popular in this country, parts of East Anglia, especially Bury, have seen these boy bishop tokens regularly found, but rarely in good condition. As being made of lead, they are often damaged. Examples are to be found in Moises Hall Museum. Wheelbarrow pilots celebrate 21 years and raising £115,000. A wheelbarrow display team that was dreamt up just to have a bit of fun at a village fete is about to celebrate its 21st birthday 
having raised well over £100,000 for charity. The Red Barrows, which describes itself like the Red Arrows, but slower and lower, sees the red overall-wearing pilots and their wheelbarrows complete formation displays. Having been created in 2002 by a group of friends based in the village of Thomasfield, Great Yelmouth and Stanbourne, all near Haverhill, the team went on to become a regular part of broadcaster and TV star's Chris Evans' annual two-day festival, Carfest, as well as making appearances all over the country. Founder Matt Webb said the idea first arose amongst a group of friends while drinking in the former Bottle Hall pub in Thomasfield, where Sudbury-based Matt then lived. It was set up for the local fete in Thomasfield, just to have a bit of fun for the village fete, really. The idea was born in the pub to do Red Arrow-style formations, but lower to the ground. The formations required at least six pilots, but they usually had eight or nine. During the years, 26 have appeared. Although the Red Barrows no longer do displays, they instead appear as a band, Reptile Dysfunction, they still raise money for charity, and over the years, said Matt, they've raised over £115,000. Initially, the team would perform at village and school fates with breakthrough breast cancer, the early beneficiary, but children in need, click sergeant, Essex Air Ambulance and a host of other good causes have also benefited. After they raised a wider audience, the Red Barrows was invited to be part of Parfest by Chris Evans after he learned what they did, and was so taken by it he got in shock. Five years after they appeared at Carfest, they've also performed at Jimmy's Farm, the BBC Flower Show in Jersey, for the Royal Navy, and even got to perform at the Red Arrows End of Season Bash, which Matt said was all a bit surreal. The team even turned down an invitation to audition at one point for Britain's Got Talent. has been included on a Topps Trump's card. Matt Forty said we didn't realise the world would go where it went, really. The Red Arrows will celebrate its 21st birthday with their free event at the Green Man Pub in Thomasfield from 3am on Saturday, June the 5th, with music, food and beer. And the enclosed photographs show these magnificent men all in red overalls, with a pilot dressed in white trousers and Wellington boots seated in the wheelbarrow. Splendid. A tribute has been played to a popular, funny, bright young man who's killed in a crash. Salvador Modki died from head injuries after being hit by a Hyundai Ionic in London Road near the centre of Thetford. Salvador attended St Benedict's Catholic School in Bury St Edmunds, which has paid tribute to its pupil. Head teacher Imogen Senior said, The whole St Benedict's School community is stunned and shocked by the sudden loss of our wonderful student, Salvador Modki. He is a loved and cherished member of this community, and the whole school is reeling from his loss. Salvador was a popular, funny, bright young man who was loved by his peers and teacher. He took part in the Duke of Edinburgh Award with the school, had represented the school at rugby and basketball, and was engaged with many aspects of school life. One of his great interests was music production and was keen to pursue his further 
as a career. The GCSE exams that he had been expected to sit from this week were part of this journey. We are heartbroken by his loss and continue to keep him, his family and his friends in our prayers. The fatal crash occurred at about 11.45am on Saturday at the pedestrian crossing next to Icknield Way. Despite emergency services, including the air ambulance treating Salvador, he was pronounced dead at the scene. Wartime life to return to Mid-Suffolk Light Railway for Bank Holiday for his festival. The wartime years will be recreated at the Mid-Suffolk Light Railway over the Bank Holiday weekend on May the 28th and 29th. The Midi in the 1940s was one of the railway's most popular railways. The Midi in the 1940s weekend is one of the railway's most popular events and recreates the age in which it was at its busiest ever. The rail line, which ran from Hawley to Laxfield, was never more than a small country branch, but during the early 40s it supplied important USA Air Force bases at Mendelsham and Horham, as well as local farmers. As well as trains running on both days, they will be fly-past from a hurricane of the Arias Battle of Britain memorial flight on the Sunday afternoon. Members of a Home Guard reenactment group will be doing drill demonstrations and there will also be visits from a team from the USA Air Force team. Many visitors to the event are expected to dress in fashions from the 1940s and there'll be music from the period to keep visitors entertained. Tickets for the event can be brought in advance or at the gate. A best of British garden and a floral project that has taken 15 years of work are among the Suffolk success stories at this year's RAS Chelsea Flower Show. Thomas Hoblin, a gardener design based near Bury St Edmunds, won a silver gilt medal for his entry, which was sponsored by Boodles. The Best of British Garden is a celebration of British craftsmanship, created with Mr Hoblin's daughter Elizabeth. His garden took the form of a woodland glade filled with plants selected for their perfected forms. Interior designer Rachel Chudley created woodland uninspired furnishings for the garden with stonesmason Jack Catling using highly fossilised Chatsworth stone to lay paths in a terrace. It is always a delight for me to design a garden for Chelsea and an honour to work with a host of the country's best craftspeople, says Mr Hoblin. We have the very best artisans and materials right here in the UK, and we designers should be embracing these valuable resources in the creation of something truly unique, rather than the usual homogenicide designs we see time and time again. Ipswich-based seed firm Thompson & Morgan also experienced success at this year's RHS Chelsea Flower Show, being the supplier of the top three prizes for plant of the year. Purchasing director Victoria Ager said, we are absolutely delighted that our entrance took the top three spots. The standard of competition was particularly high and whilst we had every confidence in our plants, we didn't dare to dream we would take first, second and third places. 
First place went to the Black Jack Agapanthus, which took 15 years to develop, with second and third places going to the Euphrophia Pink Hydrangea and the Regula Camouflage. A princess, Rottweiler, has now safely returned to her family after a 25-day chase in which her owners were searching for her across the county. Five-year-old Bo first went missing from the Lawshall area on Saturday, April the 22nd. Owner, Tamsin Hobbs, 22, said, She's not your typical dog. She sleeps with a pillow and blanket every night and really loves a Starbucks pup cup or some chicken nuggets. We were heartbroken when she went missing. After making desperate pleas for help, in the return of their beloved pooch on Facebook, they started to receive sightings of Bo from neighbours. She's a friendly dog, but I knew she'd be very scared, added Miss Hobbs. She has a bad leg and hip, so she would have been running around on three legs. Thinking she'd been spooked by a delivery driver knocking on the window, it seems that Bo managed to escape through a hole in the garden fence. Overnight, they left Bo's bed and Mrs Hobbs' clothes in their doorstep in the hopes that her scent might bring the frightened dog back home. We're not even from Suffolk. We're from Southery in Norfolk, said Miss Hobbs. We were just staying with my partner Jake when she went missing. But even though we're strangers down here, so many people got involved with helping to look for her. A week later, the search moved through Thorpe Maru, Cockfield and Lavenham, as scores of concerned people helped to track her down, drawing on the help of Sam French from Finding Ipswich Dogs Organisation, FIDO. They laid out food traps, shredded clothes and signs as Bo travelled further and further away from her home. I began to think the worst when there were no sightings for five or six days at a time, said Miss Hobbs. I was just absolutely heartbroken, but after a heart-wrenching 25 days of searching, Bo decided to bring herself home to Lawshall. Scratching on the door to let in, a friend quickly grabbed her with a jaw she could change her mind and called her worried owner. I broke down in tears when I heard she'd come back, said Miss Hobbs. And now I have um, another Chelsea Flower success story. A Haverhill fire pit maker is still buzzing after King Charles chose to deviate from his planned route at the Chelsea Flower Show to visit his stand. Owner of the fire pit company, Andy Gage, is currently attending his ninth Chelsea Flower Show. On Monday afternoon, the show ground was cleared for the royal visit and, despite it not being on his planned route, the Haverhill stand was visited by King Charles. I've had visits from his father, Philip, but never the king, said Mr Gage. I'm still buzzing now. All the other stands were jealous because he chose to come and see my work. Mr Gage said King Charles was very nice, asking how he makes the fire pits and showing an interest in their water feature. The Queen always went on a set route around the show gardens and never visited the trade stands, he added. A Berry St Edmunds mum of three says she's completely overwhelmed by the feedback she received after the launch of a new 
children's clothing stall. Rosina Hajj Darmataj, 31, has launched her children's clothing business, Bimbi, from the previous site of the Bodhi tree in the Traverse. Having officially opened on Saturday, May 13, Miss Hajmataj said the feedback has been quite amazing. I'm just completely overwhelmed, she added. I'm so proud that I took this leap of faith and it's paying off. With three children herself, Vanessa, 10, Kevin, 8, and Emmy, 3, Miss Harmitage says she's always struggled with finding stylish children's clothing. She established Bimby to help fill demand in Berries and Edmonds for a quality shopping experience with products for two to eight-year-olds, baby pieces, accessories and shoes. It's going really well, and I think people recognise what we are offering. It's something different, she added. The till is right by the window, so I hear people walking past saying they must come back sometime. A Suffolk Green Party councillor has spoken of his, his a disappointment that more than a quarter of materials in the county's recycling bins were spoiled. Mid-Suffolk councillor John Matheson also pondered whether there was the same culture of social responsibility in the UK as on the continent, where recycling rates were much higher and streets were cleaner. Suffolk Waste Partnership, which works to improve waste management in the county, has revealed that 26% of the waste in Suffolk's recycling bins collected during the financial year of 2022 to 2023 could not be processed as they were spoiled. Items contributing to spoiled collections included materials that were not clean or dry due to the remnants of food and drink, rubbish or plastic bags containing recycling and non-recyclables such as nappies and food waste. SWP has now launched a Shake It Out campaign to encourage households in Suffolk to help improve recycling rates by making sure black bin bags and plastic sacks are not thrown in recycling bins. Mr Matheson, who represents One House Ward, was particularly concerned about the amount of disposable nappies that were being placed in with recyclables. He said a delivery with a high amount of non-recyclables could be rejected at the recycling centre and the waste would have to go to the incinerator instead. A primary school in Suffolk has sent out an appeal to one of the members of Take That to visit the school and give a retiring teacher the best send-off they can. St Gregory's Primary School in Sudbury has sent out a message to Gary Barlow to either visit the school or make a video for Trish Wingfield, who is retiring after spending 13 years at the school and is a huge fan of Take That Singer. The video, which has been seen 32,000 times on Twitter, features the school's head teacher Daniel Woodrow speaking to the camera about Mrs Wingfield and ends with a pan to students at the school saying, Please! Mr Woodrow said she's an exceptional teacher and one of the kindest people I've ever met. She teaches in our specialist unit and the compassion, inclusion, aspiration and creativity 
that she shares with her children is inspirational. They absolutely thrive in her care. The class is also learning Gary's song, Sing, which is Mrs Wakefield's favourite song, and they'll perform it for her at the end of the year. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Peter, Mary, Adrian, Colin and Sue, it's goodbye. goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.